Well, Merry Christmas. All right, that warmed you up. Now we're going to do it. Merry Christmas. I am so glad you're here. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell the person on your right, tell the person on your left, Christmas is better because you're here. Tell the person next to you. Yeah. Welcome to California Community Church. I'm Pastor Brad. On behalf of the elders, the staff, all the volunteers who serve Jesus here, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Christmas is better for us because you're here, and we do welcome you to this awesome weekend. If you have been around for the last month or six weeks, I've been in a teaching series, and Pastor Hector uh, taught one of the weeks as well, called Awestruck. Have you ever been awestruck? It's that feeling that you have when something takes your breath away. It's that moment in your life when you have a sense of magic, when there's nothing but wonder that kind of fills your heart. It's the moment in the Christmas story, and that's what we've been building up to, the moment in the Christmas story, when you realize that God came near, that heaven broke open, and God stepped from divinity into humanity, and it's thrilling, and it gives us chills, and if you've been paying attention, it leaves you what? Leaves you awestruck. So we're continuing that theme today, the feeling of awestruck. I wouldn't want you to go through Christmas. I wouldn't want you to come to this season, leave this season without having been touched by that moment of awe. And so for this weekend, we're just going to continue that. Now we're going to do it all around a word, home. Let me ask you a question. What do you think? No, let me ask it a better way. What do you feel when I say the word home? Or, or even more, what do you feel if I were to say come home for Christmas? Come home, come home. This was a confusing idea for me growing up because as a child, we moved a lot. Like, we, we lived in a lot of houses, a lot of states. I didn't have a sense of home when I was a child. I lived in four different states before I was 19, dozen houses, multiple schools. There was never this sense of, well, that's, that's our home because you always had this feeling that it wasn't going to last for very long. When I would hear people talk about, like, well, that's my hometown, I didn't understand what they were talking about. I didn't know what that feeling was. I never had a sense of place. And even when Karen and I were first married, we moved a lot. And now I understand it's because that was my emotional set point. Like I didn't know what to do with stability. And so I would make decisions that led to instability. Does anybody relate to this? An emotional set point. If you grew up in a home where there was a lot of anger, you don't like anger. You don't want anger, but what you find yourself being is kind of drawn toward that chaos because that's what you grew up with. That's what you're familiar with. Again, it's not comfortable, but it is familiar. So like me, if you grew up with some sense of instability, you tend to make those decisions. So we were pretty erratic in where uh, we grew up and or, uh, where we lived and my sense of like, well, I, I don't think I really have a home. And I've always kind of wanted that place. I always wanted to think that's home. Now, uh, the house we live in now, we've lived in for eight years. And that's the longest I've ever had an address in my life. And I absolutely love it. But I know that that may not always be my address. 
Now, somewhere along the line, like most of us, I guess, as we grow and mature, we realize home isn't so much a place as it is people. Who would agree with that? Like, we would say, you know, well, family. And my family of origin, it was a family of four. It was my mom. It was my dad. It was my older brother. It was me. And when we were together, I did have a sense of belonging. Like, this is my place. This is my home, being with these people. And then when I grew up and moved on, my parents continued to move because they kept choosing that emotional set point of just, we need to move. We feel a little unsettled. We, and maybe, another, maybe another house will be you know, where we finally find our home. So they never really landed. But whenever I would travel back to be wherever they were, it kind of felt like home because those were my people. How many of you have your people? You know what I'm talking about? Like, if I'm with my people, then everything's going to be okay. It wasn't my hometown because they didn't have a hometown. It wasn't a house because they didn't have a house that I could say, well, that's the house I grew up in. But it was home because it was family for me. And then a few years ago, mom died. And then a few years after that, dad died. And then a few months later, my brother died. Who's feeling holiday cheer right now? I mean, like, ho, 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 pastor. You know, thanks for lifting us up. I promise you we're working toward a high note here. What you need to understand is that my family of origin was then no longer my sense of home. There was no going back to mom and dad's at Christmas. Like, that was gone. Now, I have children. I have grandchildren. I have a remarkable wife. I have this family circle that for sure gives me a sense of place, for sure gives me a sense of belonging, and that's my emotional home. But what I've learned in my life is that that can be transitory. And I think what my heart craved all my life was something that wouldn't change, a a state of being, kind of a place that wouldn't change, wouldn't die, wouldn't leave. There was kind of a home out there, I believed, that I was longing for. And then in my life, I realized that that center, that magnetic north, that place where I could always go for grounding and perspective and balance, listen, where I could go for permanency, that place was available to me all along. Don't you also long for a state of being and a place and a space where it's going to be the same and no matter where you live or no matter who comes and goes in your life that you will have the assurance that there is that place, there is that space that's permanent and strong and lasting. Do you have something in you that longs for that too? See, I realized that my forever home was an internal state of being. It was a spiritual center where I have a real and a personal relationship with God, with the Christ of Christmas. For me, sometimes that relationship with God is a feeling that's in my heart. And no matter where I am or who I'm with, that feeling of God's presence makes me feel like I'm still home. No matter what's changing around me, when that feeling is there, I know God is there. Sometimes it's not a feeling. Sometimes it's just this deep knowing that I'm safe, and that I'm accepted, and that I'm welcomed, and that I'm always loved. Home. See, I learned the hard way that what I thought was home before was really just a temporary state of being, but what it did is give me a hunger for 
my real home with God. Anybody tracking with me? About a third of you. No more sugar for the rest. No more, no more cookies. Today, as we talk about come home for Christmas, I want you to know we're talking about something that is eternal. Come home for Christmas is about having a relational connection with the God who is eternal. It's a picture of the closeness between you and God. That's what I want you to think when you hear me say today, come home. It means come close. It means get connected to God. And maybe this Christmas for you, this might be your first time to ever consider coming home to God. Or maybe for some of you, you're considering, well, for me, Brad, that would really mean coming back home to God because I need a reconnection with him. The truth is, I think many who are here want to be close to God. I think we're kind of created with that in us, even if it's your first time in a church. Maybe you're here because you were invited by a friend. You feel like you're on the outside of Christianity looking in, but there's some reason that you said yes to be here. And I think it is that inner little tugging that's looking for home. I'm going to read a story to you, probably the most famous story in all the Bible. And what you need to know about this story is that it is my absolute favorite story in the Bible because it is so close to my own personal journey with God. It's the story that Jesus told about the greatest homecoming ever. And we call this the story of the prodigal son. The story is about a father. He had two sons. The younger son did something that was really wild and really radical for the time. The younger son says, Dad, I want my half of the inheritance right now. And you need to understand culturally back then, and it's not so dissimilar now, but back then the inheritance only passed down after the parent died. And so in essence, what the younger son was saying to his dad is, I wish you were dead because I need my part of the inheritance right now. That was a radical request. But then the dad does something that's even more radical. He gives him his inheritance. And as Jesus is telling this story, what he's doing is he's trying to paint a picture for us of what God is like. And so what I need you to hold in your mind today, every time I talk about the Father in this story, I'm actually talking about God. When Jesus told the story, the Father in the story represents God. And the boy in the story represents you and me. So the Father gives him money. And the Bible says that the boy goes to a distant land. And in that distant land, he wastes all of his money on foolish living. Now, it depends what Bible translation you read from. One translation says he wasted it with foolish living. Another says riotous living. Another says unwise living. Another implies parties and prostitutes. Whatever translation, he's a wild child. And he's squandering what he had. And that's what the word prodigal means. The one who squanders. Maybe you can relate. You've squandered an opportunity. You've wasted your talent. You've wasted some time. Years have passed, and you're no more the person you were created to be than years ago. 
And maybe, maybe, people have said about you, like they one time said about me, what a waste. It's the story of the prodigal journey. He wastes his money. He wastes the life he could have had with God the Father. He wastes his potential. And we think he squandered his life. He's a prodigal. The same time he ran out of money, a famine hits. Isn't that what life is like when it rains, it pours? Some of that was his own doing. He wasted his money. But he didn't cause a famine. But regardless, he's in a bad situation. He doesn't even contemplate going home because he knows he brought a lot of shame against his family. And he tried to get a job. But kind of like trying to get a job during the Great Depression in this country, there was simply no work. The only place he could get anything to eat was if he fed pigs. Now, Jesus knows his audience. It was a Jewish audience. And in Jewish culture, pigs are filthy animals. And so Jesus told the story. He intentionally puts the boy in a situation to tell us he'd hit rock bottom. Lower than love. He's the poster child of shame. He's with pigs. He's living with pigs. Those of you who are in recovery are familiar with the term hitting rock bottom. Somebody told me when they looked at the wreck that I had once made of my life, Brad, you hit rock bottom, then you dug a basement. I just kept going down. That's the prodigal journey. In the story, Jesus says this. When the boy finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, and there's the word home, even the hired men have enough food to spare And here I am dying of hunger. I will go where? Home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me as a hired man. So he returned where? Home to his father. I will go home. And so he returned home. It's the classic picture of coming home for Christmas. I want you to soak in the lyrics of this song. Due to copyright restrictions, we are unable to post this song here. However, if you would like to hear it, you may search for Come Home for Christmas by Matthew West. How many of you have ever blown it so bad that you had to apologize in a big way? Now, I know some other hands need to go up because I know you, right? If you've ever had to do that, then you know what this boy was doing while he was walking home. Now, remember, the Bible has said he'd gone to a distant land. So he has a long way to go to get back home. He has a long walk. And what he was doing while he was walking back home is he was rehearsing the speech that he was going to give to his dad. Dad, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So I'll just work on your farm. And in this young man's musings, we see a reason why so many people don't come home to God. Most feel unworthy to come home to God. Most feel like they went too far away to come home to God. Most feel like they stayed too long far away to come home to God. I don't know if you've ever felt that, like unworthy 
to even talk to God. But something wonderful happens in Jesus' story, and he surprises us with what the Father does. The Bible says, while he, the prodigal, the squanderer, was still a long distance away, he's not all the way back home yet, his father saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, he embraced him, and he kissed him. Now remember, the father represents who? The father represents who? The father represents God. God sees the son coming. Who does the son represent? Us. The Father sees us coming. God saw you coming and filled with compassion, runs, embraces, kisses, and welcomes. The Son can't even get his speech out. He'd practiced this for miles. I'm no longer worthy to be called. But if you look at the story, the Father just kind of shouts over the top of him, giving orders to the servants. And he says, hey, servants, we're throwing a party for my son. Somebody, go get the finest robe. Somebody else, go get rings. He needs new shoes. And then go in the field, get the fatted calf. We're having a barbecue. My son's home. We're going to celebrate. Now, I just need to ask you, Does that surprise anyone here about God? Is that how you were taught to think about God? Is that how you always thought God would treat you if you came home to him? Didn't you think that God would be harsh? Didn't you think that God would be vindictive or cold or distant? But that's not who Jesus showed us at all. He showed us a God who runs to us runs to us because he's so happy when any one of us decides to come home. And that includes you. Now, when the father said, kill the fatted calf, that's actually a part of the story that we gloss over. In the middle of this merrymaking, you need to understand that an animal is going to be killed and blood is going to be spilled and the bleating cry of death is going to fill that valley so that everybody else can celebrate. If ever there was a metaphor of what Jesus did for us, it's that. He became the sacrifice for our party. He paid the price for our celebration. And we need to contemplate that. Wouldn't it be great if the story ended right there? Sacrifice made from a place of the Father's love. And everybody's happy. Everybody's celebrating. But the story doesn't end there. I wish it did. The party's going on. But there's another son in the story. It's the prodigal son's older brother. And the older brother is dutifully working out on the farm, tending to the work of the farm, doing the duties of the farm, being faithful as a son on the farm. And he hears this noise. And it's noise that he hadn't heard on the farm before. And he wonders what's happening, walks close to the house, asks a servant, what's going on inside? And one of the servants says, haven't you heard? Big news. Your brother is home. And your dad's throwing a party. And he's killed our favorite cow. And we're going to have a barbecue. And you need to come on in like the party has already started. And if you don't know the story, you might not know the response of the older brother. It was 
nothing like the father's joy and love, the brother felt anger and jealousy. I mean, have you ever felt like somebody else got something you deserved? Somebody else got the blessing that you had worked for? And the son is thinking to himself, Dad never did that for me. I never broke a rule. I never ran away. I always did what was right. I'm the firstborn compliant child. Firstborn children? The babies of the family were the wild cats. I was never like my baby brother who got everything. And he's mad about it. Now there's something very deep in this I want you to see. The father always wanted both of his boys the father equally wanted a relationship with both of his boys. I mean, he demonstrated that. When the product was coming home, he runs to him and he brings him home. And the moment he realized that his older son wasn't coming into the party, the father left the party and he went to him. In both cases, the father went to the son who needed to come home. And listen to what he says. Dear son, you and I are very close. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he's found. Jesus told this story to paint a picture for us of the nature of God. Like your homework this week is to read Luke chapter 15. Find the Bible, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book of the New Testament, chapter 15. Read chapter 15 and read it thinking the Father is God. The Father in this story is God. To prompt you a little bit, I want to share with you quickly three things that I've learned about God's character that are so important for us to understand as we talk about coming home to God. I mean, what kind of God are we really, really going to be coming home to? Like, what's He going to be like? What is He like? And I just want to walk us through it real quick. First, we know that God is patient. God is patient. And He's patient enough to not give up. So, your task is to come home because it's not too late and you haven't stayed away too long. If this story teaches us anything about God the Father, it's His patience. He doesn't give up. It breaks my heart when I hear people say things like, I'm so messed up. God doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Or, Brad, you don't know how many times I have failed. You don't know how many times I've walked away from God. So many times I can't even count. I am sure God is done with me. But the truth is, He's not. Jesus came to earth at Christmas to show us who God is, to show us his character. And in this story, he told us that the Father doesn't give up on prophets. Here's the truth. God has not given up on you. God has not given up on me. God has not given up on me. I want you to say it out loud. God has not... I want you to look again at this line in the story. It's so cool. While he, the son, the squanderer, the prodigal, was still a long way off, his father saw him. That means he was probably looking for him every day. Now I get this. When I was a long way from God, 
doubting if he still loved me, doubting if he could have a wonderful future planned for my messed up life. That whole time, God was patiently waiting and watching and enthusiastically hopeful that I would come home. I think he was looking for me like the father in the story was looking for his son. A lot of times as I talk about the character of God, I have a hard time understanding this, and you might too, like this whole idea of God being patient. And the reason we don't really understand the patience of God is because as people, we're not patient with other people. We give up on people easily. In our culture, we cancel people easily. We live in an impatient world, and we have become impatient people. But you need to hear me. That's not God. God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone, like there's a word, everyone, to come to repentance. Now, repentance, what does that word mean? That's kind of a churchy, theological word. It basically means to change your mind, change your thinking, turn around. And it's not too far of a stretch to say it means come back home. Do you remember the movie Forrest Gump? At the end of the movie, Forrest takes Forrest Jr. to his first day of school and he has to leave him at the bus stop and he watches as his little boy gets on the bus and he utters the best line in the whole movie when Forrest says to his son, I'll be here when you get back. Some of you need to see God in that light. God is patiently waiting for you to get back. The other thing we learn about God in this story is that God is passionate enough to show extreme love. So your part is to accept his love. Like you go back and you read the story and we saw it a minute ago while it was a long way off. The father sees the son and then the father does something that culturally was just really not done. He starts running. He starts running. Like that was not a common thing. Some of it was because of the way they dressed. Men in that culture, like men in many Middle Eastern cultures today, wear floor-length robes. It would be like a man running in a dress and that's hard from what I've heard, that it's, it's, it's hard to run in a dress. And so you just have to imagine, without shame, he's hiking that baby up, showing off his bare legs, be like a man running down the road in his underwear today. People would have talked. But what you need to hear is the father didn't care what other people thought. He just wanted his son to know what he thought. And so he ran to him. And he threw his arms around him. And he kissed him. Because that was extreme love. Now, don't forget. The boy had just stepped out of a pig pen. He's probably got a little, you know, something, something right up in here. And the father kissed him anyway. And there was no lecture. No talking about the boy's past. No throwing it up in his face. And in the absence of words, the father actually said everything. Those of you who are waiting for God to chew you out, 
condemn you, judge you, talk to you harshly. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Because who God is, is the Father who runs with open arms and an open heart to pull you close. You never have to worry whether God's going to love you or not. You never have to worry whether God's going to love you or not. But you do have to decide whether or not you're going to receive his love. See, when I was at that place where I was far from God and wanted to come back, I hesitated because I didn't believe he could love someone like me. I didn't believe he would receive and accept someone like me. But the moment I believed that, everything changed. I mean, we might question whether or not people love us. Look at the person on your right. Look at the person on your left. You don't know. You don't know. You never have to wonder that about God. The Bible says the Lord is loving toward all he has made. And God made you, so that means God loves you. The third thing that we can know about God based on the story that Jesus told us is that God is forgiving enough to accept me, so I must decide to live in his family. I've met a lot of people who said things like this, Brad, that whole God thing, like that's cool. But before I come back to God, Brad, I really need to kind of clean up my act. I kind of need to get my, my life together. And then, you know, I'll, I'll come back. But right now, I'm in no condition to come to God. And you basically have the same attitude that the son had. He said, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm a mess. And look what he concludes. I am no longer what? Worthy to be your son. I am no longer worthy. If that describes you, if you're sitting here today and you're kind of saying, I'm not worthy of that kind of patience from God. I'm not worthy of that kind of love from God. I'm not worthy of that kind of forgiveness and acceptance from God. I want you to hear me. You're right. You're not. And neither am I. And that's what blows me away about God. Because he just loves us anyway. See, you don't clean a fish before you catch a fish. How would you do that anyway? You catch the fish, then you clean the fish. You catch the fish, then you clean the fish. The son came home stinky, smelly, dirty, ugly. Then the father cleaned him up. Get the boy some more clothes. Look down at his filthy feet. Get the boy some shoes. Put some rings on those nasty fingers. Let's clean. Let's get some food in his belly. See, God forgives you enough to accept you the way you are. But he loves you too much to let you stay that way. You come to him. Let God do the cleaning. You can't do it by yourself. It's God's forgiveness that sets us on a new course. Now, this is kind of hard to understand because just like patience, don't understand God's patience because we're not that patient. We don't understand God's forgiveness because we're honestly not that forgiving. With God's forgiveness, we get something better than we deserve. 
Not even equal to what we deserve. Not retribution that we deserve. Not just even footing that would be a gift. But he gives us something better than we deserve. You know what that boy deserved when he came home? When I was a little boy, we called it a whipping. (laughs) He deserved to be an outcast. According to Mosaic law, he brought shame to his father. He deserved to die. But what did he get instead? A party. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. And every one of us has rebelled against him, and he's forgiving. So let's get to the so what part. I mean, Brad, that's nice, you know. Thanks for helping me see God a little bit better, but like, how do I actually do that? How do I actually come home to God? Well, what did the son do? I mean, don't you think we should find the answer to that question by letting Jesus teach us from this story, right? That wasn't a hard question. First, you come to your senses. If you read that story, there's a pivotal verse in there. It's verse 17. It's in Luke 15. And at Luke chapter 15, verse 17, the boy is trying to figure it out. He's trying to get himself out of the mess. He's trying to find food. He's feeding pigs. He's trying to take it out of their mouth, put it in his mouth. I mean, he's in trouble. And there's a moment in there that we call it an aha moment where he's like, it's like a light bulb. He came to his senses. Now, he didn't think he could be a son anymore. He thought he had forfeited that right with his father, but he thought maybe, just maybe, he'll let me work on the farm. Because even his servants, even my dad's servants, are eating stuff better than this. The moment he came to his senses. For some of you, today could be your aha moment. That's what I need to do. I need to come home to God. My encouragement to you would be, don't put it off. When you say, I need to go to the Father, start moving. Then when you're standing before God, number two, come clean. This boy said to his father, Father, I have sinned. That's coming clean. I come to my senses And then I have to get real about my own stuff. Got to get real. I'm a sinner who needs forgiveness. There are no perfect people. Who agrees with that? Now, I'm very curious about those who didn't raise their hand. (laughs) One of the things we have in common, one of the things that just makes us human, is that we all mess up. So why is it so hard to admit that? Come home to God. Come clean to God. The Bible is so clear about this. People who cover over their sins will not prosper. You can stay in the pig pen if you want to. But if you confess and forsake your sin, you'll receive mercy. Come to your senses Come clean, and that's how you come home. I mean, the boy said, I'll just go back to my father. And that's what today's all about. 
It's about you deciding to come home to God, coming home to your Father in heaven who made you, and we read it a minute ago, He loves you. Now, I want to be really practical right now. I, I, want, I want you to get this inside of you, like what coming home means to you. And it's going to mean different things to different categories of people. Like there's a group of you today, like coming home for you would be really, really radical because it's something you've never done. You have never really had a relationship with God because of Jesus' forgiveness. And you could have even been a churchgoer. You might have even read some of your Bible. But you've never had God throw his arms around you. You've never walked into his embrace asking for his forgiveness. And so there's some of you who you just have to say, I know about God. I just just don't know God. I just don't know him. So today, here's what you'd say to God. I want a relationship with you. I want it for the first time. I want a relationship with you. In your heart, I'm committing my life to Christ. I'm coming home. Now, I understand some of you have already done that. So maybe what you might need to say is I'm renewing my commitment to Christ. Maybe you haven't gone to a wild and riotous land. Maybe you haven't been far from God as far as the prodigal. But what you would have to say is, I've drifted. I used to be closer to the Lord than I am right now. And maybe something about today, maybe something about this message, maybe something God's Spirit is doing in your heart, you would say, I want to renew my commitment to Christ. I want to renew my commitment to Christ. And then there's a final category. And you would say, well, I'm, Brad, I'm already a believer. And actually, I'm in a good place with God right now. I, I actually love where I am in my relationship with the Lord. It's growing and it's vibrant and I feel home with him and I feel his closeness and I'm following his leadership. So is there anything in this message for me? And the answer, of course, is yes. Your action step is to tell others about this God that you're connected with. Your action is to tell people how patient he's been to you, how loving he's been to you, how forgiving he's been. And in that story, don't cut corners. I tell you my story regularly. The good, the bad, and the... There's a lot of ugly. And why do I do that? Because if I can show you who I know God to be, you might want a relationship with him too. And so you tell your story. Now in a minute, we're going to sing an old Christmas favorite. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. And that's the message those of us who follow Jesus are compelled to share with others. But first, we're going to pray. Bow your heads with me, please. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you so much for the clear picture you painted of God. 
So many people have a wrong idea about, well, the God I believe in. You know, it's irrelevant that if we make up our own ideas. Why would we do that when Jesus said, this is what God is like? A father whose heart broke because his child was far. And a father whose heart rejoiced when his child came home. That's God. If you're needing to come home to God for the first time, just tell him, Lord, I am coming home. I want a relationship with you. Christ, I'm ready to follow you. Just tell him. For those of you who felt a coldness, a distance between you and God, you know God didn't move. You moved. And today you want to move back. You want to move closer. You want to come home. And then for the rest of us, for all of us really, once we come to God, we want to tell other people, we want to go tell it on the mountain. Whoever we are, wherever we are, whatever we need, God, you gave us something today. You gave us a Christmas present. You reminded us of your love. And we're grateful for that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen.